Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness Show with Sarah Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host, Sarah Davison, shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sarah Davison. Welcome back to the show. And today, my guest is Andrea McLean. Andrea is a multiple Sunday Times bestselling author and broadcaster and a personal growth entrepreneur. She is a number one Sunday Times bestselling author of This Girl is on Fire, Confessions of a Good Girl, Confessions of a Menopausal Woman, and You Just Need to Believe It. In her 24-year career as a broadcaster, Andrea interviewed some of the biggest names in the business, including Oprah Winfrey, Beyonce, Drew Barrymore, and Michael Buble. In 2020, after serving as the longest reigning host of Loose Women, a super popular UK TV show, Andrea pivoted, leaving behind her role as a national television anchor to pursue her passion for service and to devote her time to helping midlife women feel great about themselves through her business, This Girl is on Fire. So I am super excited to welcome Andrea McLean to the show. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. It's going to be a good one. I know, I know. Oh my goodness, I'm super excited. I mean, obviously you are one of the best known faces for most of us Brits here because of your amazing career in TV. Tell us a little bit, how did you get into it? Did you always know you wanted to go into TV? No, I fell into it. And and it's... I feel a bit bad saying that because there are people that, you know, fight tooth and nail to, to get in. But I was fighting tooth and nail to become a writer and become a journalist. And that had been my dream since I was about nine. Um, and I'd moved to London with no contacts, slept on floors. Uh, I stayed in a particularly nasty bedsit um, <laughs> with a toilet down the hall uh, to, to myself through college and uh, I went to a periodical journalism training course worked for free and then after working for a couple of years in in print which was brilliant and I loved it I unfortunately got promoted to being production editor of where I worked and anyone who understands what being a production editor means understands it is the worst job it's uh, well some people love it I didn't love it it's uh it's not creative I wasn't getting to write I was in charge of making sure everybody was getting their copy in on time and so I started sort of applying for jobs elsewhere and I misread a job advert and it ended up being for a weather presenter and I thought this was so funny I thought I'll go along and and write a piece about what's it like to audition to be a weather presenter and I ended up getting the job so that was how I ended up in TV that's crazy that is absolutely crazy because obviously that's where I first saw you doing the weather um and I think you you still are well known as as one of the friendliest most approachable people on TV um and then you went on to host Loose Women so tell people because obviously people listen to us all over the world a little bit about Loose Women and, and what you did there so Loose Women is the British equivalent of The View 
And I was the longest serving anchor of that program. I ended up, I, I left after 13 years and um, it, it was an incredible show to host. We covered amazing topics. We had guests that you could literally only dream of. I interviewed Oprah Winfrey. Uh, wow. I interviewed Michael Bublé many times. He's one of my one of my favorites. Many A-list stars who came over to the UK to promote their work and, and also some incredible British stars as well. We had musicians perform. Um, I had my photograph taken by Brian Adams as part of a uh, body confidence episode that we did on the show. So I had an incredible time working there and I, I loved working in television. And then it just came time for me to to pivot and and try and do something else. But oh, my gosh, it, it was it was a ride. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, you shared a lot of personal information. Some of those topics were quite hard hitting. And obviously, you've had your fair share of heartbreak, um, as most people listening and watching this right now. So how did you find sharing some of those stories with everybody? Because getting divorced is bad enough. You know, it's known as the second most traumatic life experience we go through after death of a loved one. But you did that in the public eye twice. So tell us a bit about that. Well, when I when I first joined Loose Women, I found the, the 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 openness of it really very challenging, because I had already worked for uh, eleven years or so in breakfast television. So I I worked on the equivalent of Good Morning America, and I started as the as the weather girl. But I sort of let them know, look, I've got broadcast training, uh, I've got journalism training. Um, so I then became known as a very empathetic and warm interviewer. So I was sent to interview people who, who found it difficult to open up. And I loved it. That was my skill set. And I loved it. So then when I moved on to Lou Sumin, I was used to I was used to anchoring a show, which is what I was being asked to do. But I was in no way used to bearing my soul. I was used to asking other people to, to do that, not me. So yeah. I found it really challenging. and then. I realized that there was such power in openness because through sharing your story, you make others feel less alone. And that for me instantly stripped away the sort of fear of, of judgment. Now, clearly not all fear of judgment because I wouldn't be human if I didn't have fear of judgment. We, we all have it. But once I saw that actually by sharing my experiences, whether it was of infertility struggling to have children I had to have fertility treatment to have my my son of having a hysterectomy at uh, 45 I had a full hysterectomy and went into full surgical menopause um and then eventually obviously opening up about as you say getting divorced not once which is bad enough but twice it it's hard because it's one, it's easy to talk about something that has been challenging in your life when you're referring to it in the past. Yes. Once you've, you've done all the work and you've you've come out the other side, you know, I can sit here quite now easily and, and talk about it because it was it was years ago, many, many years ago. Um, in, in terms of my first marriage, almost two decades ago. Mm -hmm. um, but when you're actually going through it at that time, it's raw. 
And what many people at home didn't realize is when I spoke about my my divorce on the television, it had been building up to that moment for quite some time. I hadn't breathed a word to anybody. He had actually left the family home probably a month before, and I hadn't breathed a word. I also wasn't even living at home at that point. I had lots of ins and outs that I can't go into for personal and legal reasons, but I'd taken the kids and we'd moved to live with my parents who were in Cheshire. And I was actually commuting from Cheshire, not even mentioning that I had this huge round trip. Um, I didn't tell anybody what I was going through, not the team, no one. I think the only person who knew that I wasn't at home was the people who booked the trains. And I just said, oh, I'm with my parents, never mentioned it. When I eventually said the words out loud, I, I need to announce my marriage has ended. It changes everything because anyone who is going through a divorce, you can kind of keep a lid on it before anybody knows. But the minute it's out in the open, everything changes. It's like you're walking around with an open wound that people feel bizarrely entitled to poke their finger in (laughs) and give whether it's an opinion, ill-informed or otherwise, um, their take on it. they project their own sort of experiences onto you. It was really challenging. And I must admit, I didn't talk about my divorce on television in order to help people. I just talked about it because I had to. Um, Now I talk about it because I know it will help people. But at the time, I was public property and I I needed to say it out loud. I mean, that's got to be so tough. And I remember when I heard the news and watched you talk about it, you know, I could feel your pain through the screen, you know, and, I, and having been through that myself, I, you know, obviously I, I get that pain, but but that that is it's so difficult to be that vulnerable with the public, you know, because suddenly everyone, like you said, has an opinion and some of it's true and some of it isn't. So, and on top of, you know, most people listening are not in the public eye, they're going through a breakup. It's hard enough. So how did you cope in the toughest of times? What was it that you did or what were your coping mechanisms that you would say helped you through those early days? Weirdly, working, to an extent, working helped because it gave me something else to think about. Because otherwise, when you're going through something that's so raw and painful, you you just ruminate. It's all you can think of. It takes up every waking thought and even every thought when you're supposed to be sleeping. So yes. going to work actually was a good distraction. And once I'd, once I'd said it, um, during that hour that I was live on television, I had nothing else to think about. It's like you know, when you work in live television, I liken it to being a Formula One racing driver. You you cannot be thinking about anything else other than the job in hand. You get yeah. distracted, you'll crash. Now, clearly a Formula One racing driver, um, if they get distracted and crash, you know, they could really hurt themselves. I yeah. could lose my job and embarrass myself. But it's kind of the same. You're doing something that is immensely pressured and yet your job is to make it look so easy and deliver for the people you're driving for so whether it's McLaren or whether it's ITV it's the same so for me 
that was a respite. It was a relief because I didn't have any. So in the build up to it, you know, prepping in the morning, going through the papers, going to the morning meeting, sitting in the makeup chair, having the researchers and producers from the minute you walk in the door, it's go, go, go. The script's changing, the thing's changing, there's guests changing. When you're on air, there's people talking in your ear. Um, you've obviously got a studio audience to think about. You have your guests. There is so much going on in your head. And whereas that would normally be very stressful, it was great because actually yeah. it was I could breathe out for a minute and just I knew I was good at it. I was actually in my comfort zone doing something so challenging. Yeah. It was yeah. the other 23 hours of the day that were hard. <laughs> it's very true. When you're distracted, that can really help when you're there left to think about it. It's when the lights go out at night, I think. And that's what a lot of my clients say. I know that's what I felt sleeping at night. Super hard. Um, getting used to, you know, maybe an empty bed again and just living that routine on your own and being mm. a single mom as well. You know, that, that's a challenge too. How did you adapt to being a single parent? Well, sadly, I'd been a single parent before um, because this was the instance I'm talking about now was actually my second divorce. And, you know, to be divorced once in this climate, as painful as it is, is, is almost acceptable. But to be divorced twice that smacks of recklessness. What on <laughs> earth are you doing? You know, and to this day, no one knows, no one other than my very close inner circle knows the full story of what happened in both of those occasions. And in both of those occasions, I took the hit. I took the hit publicly. I took the hit at the school gates. I never corrected people when they made up their own stories. I didn't correct the press when they made up their own stories. 99.9% uh, .9 of what was reported wasn't true, but I took it because I have children. If I didn't have children, I would have very happily put everybody right. But I have a child by both of my marriages and my job I see is to protect my kids as much as, as I can. A slightly strange existence because they have a parent who is famous. So that's already putting pressures on them. The last thing they need is a famous parent slogging it out in the press, yeah. going, actually, that's not right. Actually, that's not true. I never did that. And what about this? And what about this? That's not fair. So for me, I thought, you know what, just take the body blows and let it go. And there are people out there who will believe what they want to believe. There are people who love me and actually understand the truth. And I kind of refer it back to there's a there's a brilliant quote by Christian Bale, which I'm sure many of your listeners and viewers will be aware of. But when he talks about trolls and be aware, trolls can be people that, you know, in real life, they don't have to be faceless eggs on Twitter or just yeah. someone who takes against you on Instagram. Trolls can be in your in your actual real life. And. He said, you know, you have a problem with me, give me a call. And if you don't have my number, you don't know me well enough to have a problem with me. Mm -hmm. And I try to stick to that. And also a mixture of Kelly Clarkson, because Kelly Clarkson is my superhero. I, I, I love Kelly Clarkson. And I remember once she was being interviewed and uh, the interviewer rather callously brought up the fact that another interviewer had said a particular, or a columnist rather, had said a particularly mean thing about her. And she said, you know, read out this statement and said, so what do you think about that? I mean, how nasty is that? Yeah. And Clarkson said, um, oh, well, that's a shame because if they knew me, actually they'd like me because I'm awesome. Oh, I love that. that. 
I love that because I I feel the same way. I think one, you if you if you have a problem with me, call me. Yeah. And if you don't know my number, you don't know me well enough to have a problem with me. And also, if you did know me, you'd like me because actually I'm all right. I love that. And that takes confidence, doesn't it, to, to say that, I guess. And, it, and a lot of people listening to this will be on that journey of rebuilding their confidence. And you and I both know what it's like to come out of, of a relationship and be trying to figure out who you are again and in what makes you tick. And are you a nice person? Because maybe, I know in my marriage, I was told I wasn't. So coming out of that... And rebuilding that confidence is tough. How do you find your feet and rebuild your confidence after, well, both of them? And, and does it get easier a second time around or is it just <laughs> as bad? <laughs> it's just as bad. It's just as bad. And, and both my incidences were very, very different. Um, they were different. In terms of rebuilding my self-belief, after my first marriage ended, that took a very, very long time because I hated myself. All the flack I got, it was nothing compared to what I was saying to myself because my first marriage was already ending, but I was unfaithful at the end. And for someone to who is a, I am a good person, a kind person, a nice person, all these things, but I did that thing. Now I did it for my own reasons it wasn't frivolous it wasn't whatever it was seeking comfort but I can put whatever sticker I want over that to help myself feel better and and in my heart I know it's true but I still did that thing so for me I felt I deserved every bad thing that was coming my way I deserved it all and for me that was the hardest part to rebuild because who am I? Who am I? How I always thought I was this good, nice person. I never thought I would be the one that would end up in this situation. So for me, how did I overcome that and build my self-belief? I did whatever I could to be a great ex-wife, to be a great single parent, to do what I could to, to rebuild and repair. And I did that at a loss to myself. I did it at a loss to myself financially. I did it at a loss to myself emotionally. But I felt that that if I could look at myself in the mirror at some point, and that took years, because I I I got to a point where I was agoraphobic. I could only leave the house to go to work, take my son to nursery, maybe pop to Sainsbury's, and maybe yeah. take him to the park. Other than that, I could barely eat. I'd be eating something that was nice, and a little voice in my head would say, "You don't deserve to eat oh. nice food." And I'd have to spit it out. I'd be watching a film and a little voice would say, you don't deserve to be watching something that you enjoy. It was it was terrible. So for me, it was overcoming that horrible, horrible voice that I felt was speaking my truth. It was learning how to overcome that, which is. I may have done this thing. But I am a good person. I may have made mistakes but I'm doing my best now to repair the past is done what can I do in the present to make my future better for myself and my son so that was that instance and it was horrific it was terrible in the second instance which was when I was working on Lucimin at the time when my first divorce I was working on breakfast television so I, I had the same amount of you know press interest the second time it was a very different situation but Again, that voice reared its head and it was a case of, well, what do you expect? 
no wonder you got this this is all you deserve but this time I was able to reframe it much more quickly because I'd been through it the first time I was able to understand that's not true that's not true these things that you're telling yourself in your head that nasty nasty voice that is sitting on your shoulder and just whispering into your ear it's not it's not true so for me and people will react in it in their own individual ways but for me I'm actually quite a shy person I'm quite a uh an introverted person I'm I'm confident I believe in myself I have huge amounts of self-belief in what I'm capable of but in terms of emotionally I'm a quite a shy person so I retreated inwards um you know it happened again I was dropped by the mums at the school gates uh friends I thought I had no one's picking up the phone and I retreated inwards and my my group became very small again and there was a kind of resignation to it because I'd been through it before and but what I focused on was am I safe are my children safe can I provide for my family that's all I care about anything else that is all I need to focus on right now is looking after the safety of me my 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 children and working to put a roof over their head anything else it it that doesn't matter and amy put it really well actually amy's my my daughter and we ended up talking about this period in time uh, quite recently and she said wow mom i didn't even know you were doing that when i was little you must have been like mrs incredible and you yeah. must have just like stretched over the top of us and she said i can almost see me and my brother playing underneath while you're stretched over the top of us like an invisible force field so all we knew was just our happy house I didn't know any of this went on and I sobbed because that's that's all I wanted to do and it's like bullets bouncing off but you know I will say I'm not Mrs Incredible I'm just a normal person and obviously you know bullets might not pierce but they still hurt um but I think you just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other and don't make the steps too big. Sometimes we think, you know, all this stuff about being a boss bitch and, you know, taking over the world and reclaiming your power and all that sort of stuff. It's great. Actually, it's not very helpful when you're in the throes of it and you're feeling so much pain. You you don't have the energy to be a boss bitch. You don't have the energy to take on the world. You need your energy to just rebuild yourself. So all I would say is take tiny, tiny steps forward. And if you've got through another day, brilliant. (laughs) If that's all you can handle, brilliant. You've done it. Yeah. I mean, it's really fascinating. Thank you for being so open. I mean, it takes a lot of courage, but it does inspire so many people hearing your story because I think, we all go through that period where the school gates, that dynamic changes, you know, as mums, it's a great place to be, you know, your friends are there, your kids and everyone's sort of like a, a big family. But then with these life shifts, you do notice that. I know I did and I found that really tough and I, and I hear it every day, you know, I've lost friends. Where's my best friend? And sometimes it's the people that you just don't even think for a second won't be there for you. And that can feel like a double betrayal, can't it? It's like, well, you know, in my case, my, my husband had an affair, but then some of my closest friends weren't there for me. And, you know, sometimes that can feel 
almost as painful in a strange way because you count on them, don't you? Yeah, and I suppose because again it, it had happened to me before there was this <laughs> never mind the great resignation of the pandemic my great resignation was of resigned to here we are again and wow. um there was a level of understanding because I thought also I'd done a lot of work on myself in that time I hadn't had therapy or anything that came years later I didn't have therapy for the for the breakdown of either of my marriages and the the toxic relationships that I had found myself in until years later, uh, because I did what I urge people not to do. And I just buried it, put a lid on it, put something heavy on top of that lid and thought, right, I'm not going to look at that anymore. Yeah. And then one day it came bursting out and I realized actually, wow, I haven't looked at any of this stuff and I, I need to deal with it. But the, the, the great resignation was of, here we go again, standing at the school gates. And there are very, very few, I can count on oh, only a few fingers, never mind one hand, the amount of women who actually did reach out and go, I I may not come up to you at the school gate. You know, they emailed me through the, you know, finding my email through, you know, school things or group, you know, WhatsApp group things. Yeah. To say, I'm uncomfortable coming up to you at the school gates because I don't know where, how you're feeling right now and where you are with all of this, but I just want you to know that I'm really sorry you're going through this. And that's mm. enough, actually, yeah. even just to hear, yeah. I'm sorry you're going through this. I'm not going to come and chat with you about it, but I'm sorry you're going through this. But there's also a level of understanding because we all operate at some level from a place of fear and our way to protect ourselves from that is to put ourselves somewhere where we feel safe and we feel comfortable and anything that removes that feeling of safety or comfort is seen as a threat and on an mm -hmm. intellectual level I recognize this so I've now gone from being that famous woman off the telly to now I'm a single famous woman off the telly and women can react very strangely to that yeah. and think somehow I can't invite her around for a cup of tea or to dinner because yeah. now she's single and now she's a threat I'm yeah. not a threat. I don't yeah. fancy a husband. I'm not <laughs> interested in anything of that yeah. sort. I just wanted you to be my friend. But I understand where you're coming from because, and this isn't just me and because I'm someone off the telly. Many, many divorced women find yeah. themselves in this situation where they're not invited around because they were invited as a couple and suddenly they don't yeah. count as a single person. And all those friendship groups that you built up as a couple go not because anyone's blaming you for anything, but because they suddenly feel uncomfortable having you around as a single yeah. woman. And that's lonely and it really hurts and it's so unnecessary. Yeah. You're suddenly off the dinner party circuit, aren't you? You don't get invited over for those things. And it's very true. It's very true. And, you know, having been through that myself, it's supposed to be get that. And that's something that I think people don't talk about very often. You talk about going through the divorce and the legal paperwork and how upset you are, but that can feel like a real desertion, actually. So whilst that's going on, obviously you're married now, happily to Nick, who is lovely. I've met him. At, we met at the Anything Is Possible conference, didn't we? Um, how did you get back out there dating again? Because there's going to be a lot of people listening, thinking, you yeah, know, that's hard enough when you're not public eye. You know, getting on a dating app is you know, it's tough right now, you know, for anyone. But how do you go back out there and start dating again? And, and was it easy for you? Did you find that difficult? I had no interest in it 
whatsoever. Um, I thought to myself once, you know, the, I suppose, the kind of explosion of it all had calmed down. And it does feel like an explosion. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, I'm clearly not cut out for this. I've tried twice, you know, and to put it into context, you know, you mentioned I'm I'm remarried now. So I've been married now three times. Um, I've dated in the whole of my life, four people. I married oh, wow. three of them. <laughs> so all it is, is I have a really high hit rate of people asking me to marry them. And I say, yes, it doesn't mean that I, you know, I've kind of been around or whatever whatever it doesn't mean that at all it just clearly means and I see it as a compliment I don't see it as oh my god I have a really good success rate yeah exactly exactly um so for me at at that point I just thought you know what I'm done I'm done uh so what I did rather than join a dating app was I joined agricultural college I actually (laughs) (laughs) I decided I needed to do something that kept me busy and it was something that would bring me joy so I was working on loose women at the time and I joined an agricultural college near where I live and I did a garden design course and I mean I turned a few heads in the canteen I can tell you um, I turned up and there's people going isn't that that woman off the telly and I was like yeah it's me but I also really love gardening so I'm here to here to learn just treat me the same as everyone else and after a while everyone kind of calmed down and they did um that got me through the first year because I was, it was really important to me to build and nurture something into life because everything had felt like it had died or had been ruined. And I needed to, and I, there's something really beautiful about gardening. So I threw myself into that. And then people ask, oh, so you're a qualified garden designer. I'm not. I actually didn't finish my course because I got invited to do panto, which is the weirdest reason to not finish a course ever. Um, but I didn't qualify because I had to do panto. So I was a fairy godmother in a panto. Um, yeah. I know, weird. And But again, I was, I was, I'd found my peace with my own company. And this is what I would recommend everyone to do, male or female. Find peace with your own company. Who am I if I am not part of another person's life what do I like you know half the time we don't even know what we like because we're so used to kind of going along with what has been I don't know seen as acceptable for the two of you or maybe you're a little bit more acquiescing or you're a people pleaser because I know I was um and it was sitting down and thinking what do what do I actually want to do um so that passed that amount of time in terms of dating I mentioned I, I dated someone uh, and didn't marry them uh that was I got invited to a to a charity ball or something and a friend of mine sat me next to a gentleman and uh I didn't know I'd been set up at this point but uh I was so we ended up, we, we went out for a while and we we dated for uh a few months and then it became really apparent that actually I was doing the same thing again and it was friends of mine actually staged an intervention and they literally <laughs> stood in front of me and went, we can see what you're doing. You are, you're shrinking. You're, you're putting yourself down again. You're letting him put you down. You're losing your yourself. Your, your spark that just started to come back is going again. Wow. And we can't let you do this for a third time. 
So we're standing in front of you and we are demanding that you break up with this person. And so I did. And good friends, good friends. Exactly. Exactly. And funny enough, they were work colleagues. They were the make it was the makeup department at Loose Women. Because in in um in when you sit in the makeup department, it's like a hairdresser's. Yeah. Everybody, you know, we all tell our hairdressers our whole life. So it's like that. And they literally they apparently they'd had a little meeting about me. And uh, I came in one day and they went, right, enough is enough. You are you are drawing a line under this. So I did. For you the listening is that we can tell friends this isn't the right person for you, but quite often people want to make their own mistakes, right? Oh, I'd already made loads of my own mistakes. <laughs> I've been married before, so it was fine. Um, but also I knew, I knew, I knew in my in my heart. But um I, I think, you know, and I had entered that relationship with a very kind heart because I could actually see, and I don't wish this this person who I won't say who they are, I wish them so much love and wellness. I really do. And I could see they were hurting and I wanted to help them. Yeah. Um, but I was never going to, I was not right for them. Yeah. And uh, deep down he knew it. And he, instead of just doing the honorable thing, I think he did what many men do. And they just think if I'm, if I'm mean enough to her, she'll go. <laughs> I just kind of hung on to his leg. Which is, <laughs> what I do but anyway in terms of um how did I end up remarrying again and finding love again it's really uh I I didn't want to it's a bit like when I first found myself working in television um my friend Donna in the makeup department at Loose Women uh she said right um you need to have a laugh you all you do is you work, you look after your children, and and that's your whole life. So you you need a laugh. So a friend of my husband's uh, is getting divorced. I've only met him a couple of times, but he seems nice and he seems lots of fun. Come out on a double date with us, and even if nothing happens, you'll have a good laugh and it'll be fun. And I was literally like, oh, I <laughs> so don't want to do this. Um, I've never dated really I've I've never been on an app I've never joined a dating agency or anything I, I don't even know how to I mean I say that this the previous man and I dated we just kind of became friends and got to know each other and went out you know it was yeah, like that yeah. um so I and any single mother will understand this I had to drop one child to one house <laughs> I had to drop which was in London I had to drop another child to north of London then I had to drop the dog to the kennels then I had to drive all the way down to Brighton for this one date by the time I got there I just thought oh do you know I'd really like to just stay in this hotel but Delion just, just yeah. order what the wine is the inn this is ridiculous um but I went out and I met Nick that night on this blind date that I did not want to go on and apparently he didn't want to go on it either and we both only went because we didn't want to let our friends down oh. and we've been together ever since <laughs> what a story what a story and that actually also shines a light on you know the less glamorous side of going on dates doesn't it because we all have to then juggle kids and dogs and where we're going to stay and driving and parking it's it's not as easy as it used to be is it um and now you have a blended family right so you and nick have both have kids um, so how does that work? Have you got any tips for someone listening who is about to blend their families together? What would you advise? 
we do have a blended family. We are very lucky that our children are kind of all within the same age bracket. So that's helpful. So our children now are, because it's nearly 10 years on now, are 16, 18, 20 and 21. Uh, but obviously, you know, subtract 10 years. That's where the, that's where we were then. Yeah. Um, so it was it was very challenging. I won't lie. Um, and it still has its challenges. Of course it does, because it brings up its own dynamics. And you you think you can parent equally, but you, you don't. You, you think you can, but but you don't. And that's both of us, you know. Yeah. And I think recognizing that is really, really important. Um, and also you can't control the dynamics that happen outside of your of your home. Mm-hmm. So what we we have three exes between us who each have different parenting styles and different rules and 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 what have you compared to in our house so the kids are moving between these spaces and it is it is challenging you know we we have found our way with it which is great what I would suggest is um and this this came into our life years later and it would have been useful if we'd known about it earlier is family coaching now family coaching is different to family counseling because and obviously family counseling is 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 very important if if um say a divorce happened for very traumatic reasons and the the children are moving in and out of spaces where they maybe don't feel as safe or or they need to understand why certain things have happened so of course family counseling is important but family coaching gives you the tools that you need just as as you do with with helping people go through divorce if you deal with a, a family coach or someone who's used to dealing with young people or children it really helps give all of you as a family, the tools that you'll need when you come together as a blended unit. And it helps you take individual responsibility. It gives you empathy and understanding rather than reacting with, well, this is my house and this is how I do things and expect yeah. it. It's going to jump in line. That's never going to work. Sorry, you all go to together. Do you all, with the kids, both, both of you go with all the kids. Um, how we have done it is actually... The, uh, the kids go individually okay and they go one and I think that's important they feel heard yeah because if you go, there's a lot of us you know yeah. we've, there's four kids and two grown-ups and da, 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 da. Um, but because obviously of with our training now because we've both trained as as coaches and we now work with people who who come to the table with all kinds of different different challenges I suppose we have a better level of understanding than most parents would and also most individuals would. You know, what's strange is this thing that I used to feel so much shame about Mm -hmm. actually has become incredibly useful as a as an empathetic tool when I'm listening to other people, because there's nothing you can tell me that I I won't understand. Yeah, I've yeah. read it in a book. I felt it, so yeah. that's made it really powerful. But in terms of uh, the kids and their coaching, we found that if they go on one to one, they're able to be really open. We all may think as parents that we have a great relationship with our kids and they tell us everything. They don't. Of course they don't. We didn't tell our parents everything. And even if we're progressive and we're free thinking and we're all the things, we're still their parents. So they're not going to tell us everything. So it's really important that they have somewhere where they can offload to someone who understands. 
but who then also gives them tools, clarity mm -hmm. and tools to move forward. And we found that's made the biggest difference. I love that. I love that idea. And I think children having a voice and being able to say what they that what they think is super important. Um, as you said, without the tools to create the change, then it doesn't work. But absolutely. And having walked in the shoes, you are such an empowering coach, I think, because you've lived that experience, Andrea. So tell us that you've pivoted, you are doing your coaching. Tell us about what you're doing now and how people can find you and get involved. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I was part of the great resignation during the pandemic, of which I yeah. had no idea that I was the part of something that everyone else was doing. You know, <laughs> no one does when they're doing something that's just related. We just do what we want to do for ourselves. Yeah. I've been interested in in growth, personal growth, in in coaching, probably. So I'm in my mid fifties now. So probably the last thirty years or so. I just didn't know that was its name. I'd been uh, interested in in psychology and human behavior. Yeah. It was something that I'd done as part of my degree many years ago, but also um, through the skills that I'd learned in interviewing people and, and learning to be empathetic and, and this kind of thing. And then really, I realized I wanted to take something that comes very naturally to me, which is to be empathetic and to want to lift and build. But I wanted to do it in a in a different way rather than just simply listening to someone's story when I interview them and particularly on on the on the tv show that I worked on the the maximum amount of time that I might have with a really fascinating guest the maximum would be eight minutes wow uh, take into account you have two minutes to calm them down because they're on live television that leaves six minutes to really get them to explain themselves they've yeah. just just started to get warmed up and then you're going I'm so sorry we've run out of time yes. and I just didn't want to do that anymore and clearly obviously I could do it through podcasts and this sort of thing but I also wanted to take my skill set and bring it to the masses if you like um, I'm really fortunate that I get to meet experts in their field my my little black book is brilliant but yes. not everybody has that luxury so I wanted to sort of bring it to everyone and so I set up this girl is on fire uh, it started off as an online blog where I again used my skill set was interviewing people uh, then it became a, a community uh, I've now moved it it's 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 been going for it's coming up to six years now and uh, I've was it five years five or six years um, and now I've moved it onto Facebook and it's a it's a beautiful, safe space. It's a private Facebook group where I have conversations about midlife issues. Uh, you're on my bucket list, Missy, so I'm going to be having a chat with you about coming onto my Facebook group. Um, about, about, about literally anything that affects us in, in midlife. And I offer them tools and support. I also now, I run courses, I run workshops, uh, I do live events, I go into companies and just show them that actually companies put so much emphasis on the bottom line and I get that I totally understand that but actually by empowering your workforce to feel really great about themselves mm -hmm. at whatever 
experience they're going through at home. In in this instance, in, in with regards to what we're talking about now, it could be divorce. People in your team could be going through a horrific situation at home right now. But imagine if you had the tools where you were making them feel good about themselves while they're at work. What a tool. So what I do is I, I go in and I I show teams just how to build their self-belief, build their confidence. Doesn't matter what it, what you're going through. I will have been there, um, but also I can show you how to, whether it's put a brave face on at work, how to use your experiences to, to empathize with your clients, with your with your teammates. I, I bring that into all different sorts of walks of life, and I love it. I love oh. it. Too. Well, you are like a ray of sunshine, I have to say. I mean, for those people watching, you can just see you glow, and you've got such an amazing energy. Um, so I can well imagine that you're inspiring so many people through the corporate work, which is an unusual avenue for personal development, but one that is, as you say, much, much needed. Um, so where can people find you? How can people join your Facebook group? Well, the, the Facebook group is for women only. So if there's any men watching, I'm very sorry, but you can't come in. Um, <laughs> men can come to the live events that I do because they're for everybody. But for the Facebook group, just look up Andrea McLean, This Girl Is On Fire, private Facebook group, and uh, just click to join. And I will see you in there. I love that. I have one final question for you, Andrew, that I ask all my guests. So the podcast, as you know, is called Heartbreak to Happiness. And I think it's really important to know what happiness is, because when you are going through these really dark times, it's important to be able to tap into it as you go. So what is happiness for you, Andrew? For me, happiness is summed up in, in two words, and it's two words that I try my hardest to realign myself with and if you're not there right now understand that you know a rocket that is going to the moon is off course 98 percent of the time it is constantly readjusting and that's all you're doing so for me happiness is finding my way back to peace and excitement why those two words because after spending so much of my adult life feeling unsettled feeling afraid um, feeling undermined, feeling worthless, coming back to a feeling of peace within myself it feels so grounding. But there's also a side of me that I love excitement. I get a kick out of getting excited, whether it is the work that I'm doing, whether it's something that I'm really looking forward to. So if I can find a way to constantly, like that rocket going to the moon, just I see it like tapping, 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 realigning, bringing myself back to base as it were to a feeling of peace and excitement then I'm happy I love it I mean such wise words really important and I really appreciate you taking your time out to come and spend time with us on the podcast today I know that so much of what you said would have deeply resonated thank you for being so brave so vulnerable and open it does make a massive difference to so many people so thank you Andrew for joining me and being a fabulous guest oh thank you for having me it's been wonderful and I just hope I've helped oh definitely have that's it for today's episode do head on over to Andrew McLean this girl is on fire on Facebook so you can register and join the private Facebook group and I look forward to you joining me on my next episode That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to one of Sara's virtual retreats. 
The retreats are a transformative combination of live webinars with Sara herself, coupled with empowering online video programs designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again. For more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com, where you can also get a copy of Sara's free gift. Thank you and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness.